Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Post Game Pints Podcast with myself, Mitch Gallo, and my very best friend, Sean Campbell. We're brought to you by LaBrosse Brewery and Cunningham's Pub, and we are at episode 99 today. That's right. Uh, next week, we will break the century uh, barrier, episode 100. But we got the Wayne Gretzky episode uh, coming up. A lot to get to. The rapid fire in just a second. Random sports thoughts and a pop quiz for you. What's going on, Sean? Uh, not much. Uh, I know usually we talk about what number we're at in 99, so this is pretty easy. I mean... This is all about Wayne Gretzky. I do have a Wayne Gretzky jersey. I should be wearing it. I know I, I know where it is, too. I don't know how, lo- how long you can delay and I can go get it. I just thought of it now and since it's episode 99. It's one of my favorite jerseys, thanks to uh, the Voth, the voice of the Montreal Canadiens. Dan Robertson, who gave it to me, is uh, the beautiful one that says Campbell across. But it's got Gretzky on the back, so you know it's the best. Hard to go wrong with uh, with a Wayne Gretzky jersey. Uh, that's that's a nice one, Sean. I have to say, you know, people of my generation probably go with the uh, silver and uh, black uh, L.A. Kings jersey uh, when they think uh, of Wayne Gretzky. Your generation, probably the Edmonton Oilers, uh, Wayne Gretzky. You know, my brother's five years younger, probably the New York Rangers a version of Wayne Gretzky. Oh. And, uh, and very few, very few, mm-hmm. the St. Louis Blues version of Wayne Gretzky. I think I have the the all-star Gretzky. So, you know, if with all the different jerseys that he wore, the one that uh, he, when he was all-star, because he was always an all-star. So that kind of works out. Uh, I think have the best version of those jerseys. And it and I do feel like I'm cheating on Mario a little bit because, Mitch, you know, from our long conversations, I'm more of a Mario guy than a Wayne guy. So I do think at some point I need to get a Mario jersey uh, just because I have a Wayne jersey. Um, I'm just trying to figure out which version of the Penguins do I get? Well, for me, it's uh, it's pretty easy. It's the version from the early 90s. Uh, that is my favorite uh, version of their jersey. I think my least favorite jersey uh, of the Penguins is uh, the mid-90s. When I think this was when uh, Mario was uh, uh, retired and uh, Yager took over as captain. They kind of had the gray in the jersey. It was black and gray. Uh, don't don't get that one. Uh, no. I think I don't I like think, the I don't like the one that says Pittsburgh across either. Yeah, uh, that's that's very Mario though. That yeah, I know, but I don't like that one. I don't like the uh, the 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 New Age Penguin that they tried with the triangle. A little what bit. What about the uh, What about the baby blue? No, not the baby blue either. So there's a lot of Penguins jerseys I don't like, but I will have to go with that early '90s version when they won the Cup back to back. I think that's the one I would go with. Yeah, and you know what? That jersey to me is so similar to your uh, your love affair for the Vancouver Canucks jersey. So uh, you're yes. almost getting the Canucks, yes. but you're getting the Penguins. All right. So you ready to go with the rapid fire here on the Post Game Pints uh, podcast? We got a couple topics to get to right away, Mitch. Yeah, let's go. All right. Well, why don't we ask this question revolving around the Montreal Canadiens? Um, Suzuki, Caulfield, Anderson. They've been aligned. They've been producing. They've been putting up points. Anderson scored his first hat trick. Caulfield's out of his slump that he's been all season long. Nick Suzuki looks like a number one center, point uh, point producing like he should with his wingers on the side. Is this a legitimate number one line across the National Hockey League? Sean, unfortunately, the answer to your question is a big fat no. Mm. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, but I just look at other top lines in the NHL, number one lines. Uh, this this almost, and you know Suzuki's a big part of it, 
it goes back to when you and I were discussing whether uh, Nick Suzuki was a true number one line center. I think the line, uh, the argument that I'm going to bring you is the same I had with Suzuki not being a number one center. And I think that if I look at the line, only Caulfield in the future I see as a legit uh, number one line scoring wigger. I don't see that for Suzuki. And I think Anderson is better suited for a number two role because I don't think he has any of those natural offensive uh, talents. Um, you know, he's, he's, he, I don't think he makes plays enough to be on a number one line. And I like Josh Anderson a lot and I take him on my team. It's just how I feel about the situation. You know, I look right away at the uh, division that the Canadians play in and, you know, this line doesn't match up anywhere near what Florida has on their top line, what Tampa has on their top line, what Toronto has on their top line, what Boston has on their top line. And then we could get into the non-playoff teams. And you know what? The Canadians have a similar first line to those teams. So to be legit, I think uh, the answer to your question is a big fat no, uh, because I don't see Suzuki and Anderson as number one line guys. To me, if you're a championship caliber team, they're likely on your second line. All right. So there's a couple things I'm going to agree with you. And then there's a couple that I disagree with you. Uh, the one that I'm going to agree with you is no, because right now, clearly no one on that line has ever even proved that they're a first line player. I think everybody can look at Josh. Oh yeah. 27 goals once. Uh, yeah. That's once. And that's a good number for a first line, but also look at his point totals. He's never put up first line points ever in his career. And it's not like he's 22 and you're waiting for it. I think you're starting to see who Josh Anderson is. So that's fine. I do think that you can progress if you put him with some, uh, you know, top end talent, he'll be able to produce. Kind of look at like Chris Kreider, right? Chris Kreider put up big goal numbers, but not big number one line numbers. Now, later in his career, he's playing with some top guys. He's putting up number one line numbers. So I think that there is a possibility with Anderson. I will disagree with Nick Suzuki. You know I was going to disagree. You don't think he'll ever be a number one. I clearly do think he's going to be a number one. And I still think he's at that uh, growth stage, learning stage. But I do think he has the talent and the ability to be a number one center in the National Hockey He's not there. He's not there, Mitch. I'm not saying so. The answer is no. But I'm going to disagree with you when you say, oh, he's a number two. I think he legitimately can be a number one in the National Hockey League. And we're on the same page when it comes to Cole Caulfield. I think we believe that this is a guy, if he's with the right players, he'll be able to put up the most goals on his team. If it's 35, if it's 40, if it's 32 one year, those are number one line numbers. Not everybody puts 50 up. I'm not saying he won't, but those are number one line numbers that we think he's going to be able to project to. Now, if they all put it together, Suzuki becomes a number one, Caulfield becomes a number one, and then you're the third complementary player that has the ability to play a number one line, then yes, it can be. But it, they're they're not there yet. I like the idea that they're working towards it, and this is something that if they're going to finish the season, start next season with, that's a great idea for the Canadians, and don't touch it. But there's two players that really have to step up. All, all, let's, all, let's be honest. All three have to step up. Suzuki has to be better. Caulfield has to be better. And Anderson has to be able to show that he could play with top-line players. So the answer is no. But I definitely think that there's potential for it if they stay together. I don't know if they will, though. Number two uh, on the uh, rapid fire here on the Post Game Points podcast. Is it important that Carey Price plays this season? I think it's extremely important. 
for whatever decision the Canadians want to make around Carey Price from keep him or trade him. Now, they're a better team if they keep him because he's Carey Price. He's less than a year ago from being one of the best of uh, best goalies in the in the league. But you can't think about getting rid of him or trading him because there's no value because he's been hurt and no one knows if he's any good. And if he goes on LTIR, okay, you're going to be able to save some cap space, but that's just not a solution that, you know, works in anybody's favor for the Canadians or for Carey Price. To me, he has to play. And I, and I know that it's likely going to be a handful of games. If You got to take it if that's what it is. But ideally, you could get upwards of 10 games if you can. But I don't I don't see that, Mitch. I'm, I, I think I'm on the super low level. But I think it's important that he gets a game in. I really, really do. Because taking a complete year off at that age with that many injuries, I don't know if you'll ever be the same goaltender again. Yeah, you know what, Sean? I don't know if he'll ever be the same goaltender again, whether he plays this season or doesn't play this Absolutely. season. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I don't... I don't feel it's as important as uh, as you seem to. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that at this point, uh, getting him healthy for next year is more important than getting him healthy for this year, and getting him to a hundred percent. Look, I I really have my doubts right now. I'm extremely uh, negative when it comes to the possibility of Carey Price returning. I just don't really see a situation where he's having setback after setback. And the knee is still bothering him and he is out for nine months and then nine months and two weeks. He's okay. Like this is an injury that should have healed by now. So if I'm the Canadians, I'm a Canadians fan. I'm Kerry price. I'm very concerned uh, about that knee. So until I see him on the ice, going down into the butterfly position and Mm -hmm. taking a shot or two, I'm not even going to think about the possibility of him playing this season. Sean, we flipped the calendar this uh, this week. We're in the month of March. March, April, season. We're talking two months left. And a very condensed schedule, by the way, to get these games yeah. in in the next two months. But two months with a goalie who hasn't even dropped down into the butterfly since he was playing in the Stanley Cup final, to think that that guy is going to return seems like a very big stretch to me. Yeah, but I guess that's not you know, the question, I don't think he's going to return or there's going to be a big return or a large, you know, Oh, like I, 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 understand, I understand the question. But the, the question is like how important, and I guess you feel like if he plays one or two games, how is that going to affect him if he plays zero games? But I just think for the mindset of the organization, knowing that he's able to come back and play, I think that changes what they want to do or how they plan things. Not that they can't, they have to already start planning for life without Carey Price, let's be honest. And their plan of Kane and Primo may have taken a couple years back. I'm not saying that he's not going to be ready, but they might be like, okay, we need something in the middle here uh to help out and maybe jake allen's the guy he still has a year left on his contract but you got to figure out something and you don't know unless he plays if he doesn't play then that 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 question looms through the months of may june july august september until you have training camp next year and that's just a huge question mark for the canadians for a guy that is slated to probably play if he's healthy or says he's healthy 45 to 50 games next year All right, last one. Um, Mitch, a lot of talk because there's been rumors swirling that Ken Hughes wants to get rid of some cash and move some players off and then this summer do the quick rebuild or change of the roster and target some high-profile 
free agents? This is a question that's going to be uh, taken from now until the summer. But do you think the Canadians should be targeting high profile? And I'm not talking about the three, four million dollar players. I'm talking the big fish on uh, July 13th when free agency opens. 100%. Why would you not? Mm. I don't see a logical argument as to why you would not target uh, a high profile, unrestricted free agent. Sean, championship caliber teams are built through the draft by trades and by free agency. The best teams do it all. You know, there's, there's not one way to find a player. You have to accumulate 23 players that are going to contribute to a Stanley cup. All right. Now, look, I know that you have to be cautious in free agency and I'm not saying they should go out there and be reckless and have a plan A, B, C, D, E, and give all that money to plan E if plan A through D don't work. That's not what I'm saying they should do. And I'm also not saying they should give out five or six-year contracts to players in their mid-30s. But if either you have a player who gets to unrestricted free agency at a very young age, 27, 28, then you could sign that player. Very comfortable with a player at that age. You know, I look at the Alex Petrangelo's of the world, the guy who signed his contract, I think he was 27 years old that age category, or you could go for a shorter term deal on a guy in his mid thirties. I'm comfortable with that too. A two or three year deal to say a guy like Christopher Latang or uh, Patrice Bergeron. And uh, obviously there's reasons I'm throwing out those two names. Malkin. I, I, I think, I think you have to do everything you can to acquire as many good players as possible. I'll never say no to a yeah. good player. So my answer is yes, they should. Yeah. I, I always like the idea of, you know, when you can get a high price player and maybe the 30 year olds are something that I'd be a little hesitant about just because where the Canadians are with some of their other players. And, and and I'm not against it, but I'd be a little bit more hesitant. But I mean, I've never had a problem paying some some players that are entering their prime big money because you know what they're going to get. Don't don't do the Andrew Ladd or the Milan Lucic. Right. You're, when you're talking about depth player, get a legit number one player and pay them. And if you're going to pay them, then you know what you're going to get. And this is someone that is like a proven commodity. So I have no problem if the Canadians are going to go into into that direction, because you you always worry about spending too much on your third line or your second line. But when you're spending money on your first line, it really doesn't matter. So when you're talking about a, a Philip Forsberg or a Thomas Hurdle, I have no problem. Or a few years ago, New York, New York Rangers with Artemi Panarin. Zero issue with what they did. And I know that they threw, you go, whoa, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I think it's working out for them. I think it's working out for them. Uh, you ready for some random sports thoughts, Mitch? Sure am. All right. Um, this is the one. Do we want to do this one? This works for you? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Was good good level for you? Do you want me to adjust the volume? A little lower, higher, perfect? It's perfect. Okay. I thought it was. It's time for random sports thoughts. Just sometimes we think of things. We want to throw it out there. Have your random sports thoughts. What do people do with their random sports thoughts, Mitch? Here on the Post Game Pines podcast. Brought to you well, by LaBrosse and Cunningham's Pub. They can uh, send us their random sports thoughts on uh, Twitter. At Mitchie Gallo, at Sean R. Campbell, or at Post Game Pints. All right. I'm going to start with a little NFL and one of my favorite football players. Because we still don't know his future, Aaron Rodgers. Right? 
Well, his future seems like uh, fifty million dollars for one season, but yeah, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Had a good, ed- had a good editor show. headline for that too. Okay, <laughs> maybe another time. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers loves the green. <laughs> Get with the green. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the uh, Green Phantom. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers thrives on drama. I think he enjoys drama. Not not only in his life. How many times have we heard about these these breakups with his girlfriends? Shailene, uh, how would you say her first name? Woodley, Olivia Munn. I mean, it just it's, it's always public and, you know, and then you get into the drama of, oh, I want to move on. I don't want to move on. I'm going to be the spotlight. And then let's, let's be honest, the drama on the field, which he thrives in as well. I think that, you know how some personalities in your life are dramatic people? that enjoy creating drama or being in the midst of drama. Mitch, I know you have people like that in your life. I think Aaron Rodgers is one of those. So I'm taking everything with a grain of salt because I think he does half of this on purpose and it's just all going to come back and everything's going to be normal. But he thrives on drama. And he excels in that situation on the football field. And I think he's trying to bring that to his everyday life. You're calling Aaron Rodgers a drama king. I don't think I'm wrong. All right, Sean, my uh, first round of sports thought. I'm going to go to uh, the world of uh, Major League Baseball. Ooh, I have a baseball one, too. And uh, it, it, it's, it's it's nothing with the uh, the player lockout and the CBA and okay. opening day getting delayed. It has nothing to do with that. I was just uh, I was watching MLB Network uh, trying to get ready for the season. And uh, they were doing uh, a countdown of the top 25 nicest left-handed swings yes okay now who do you think was number one griffey so of course ken griffey jr was number one on this list so i was just thinking to myself mm-hmm. how come nobody has emulated or copied ken griffey jr's batting stance mm-hmm. and swing we know that when we play baseball growing yeah. up we all try to copy and imitate the nicest or quirkiest batting stances that you'll see. But if you look at Major League Baseball today, nobody still swings the bat the way Ken Griffey Jr. did, or even attempts to stand at the plate like he used to uh, do. So I was just wondering how come, if it's the nicest and one of the best hitters of all time, nobody's copied it. By the way, Sean, I'll tell you something else that they did that was pretty cool on this uh, feature on MLB Network. They took some of the nicest uh, right-handed swings and they reversed the image so it looked like the uh, swing was coming from the left side of the plate. Must have looked so weird. It was nicer. Really? So they did did like uh, right-handed hitters. They did uh, Manny Ramirez, uh, Alex Rodriguez, uh, Mark McGuire. Those were a few of the ones that they did. And it was like, it's so much nicer on the left side. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Mitch, not to compare myself because I'm a switch hitter and I have, I'm pretty comfortable on both sides. Um, but I have two completely different stances. And it's weird because the Ken Griffey, I've tried it, but it just didn't feel right. Right. And I think maybe that's what it is. Because I think stances are feel when you're at the plate. Mitch, you know that. You've tried everything, but you came up with your own. Right. And then you talk about, you know, emulating. Um, and I know that we don't need to get into my left-handed stance because it's weird, but my right-handed stance, you know who I emulate. 
I love doing the Gary Sheffield. And, and it was just because I saw him do it. And I was like, that's kind of cool. So when I go and I bat right-handed, which I don't get too often because there's not lefties in our league that we play, it's the Gary Sheffield. And I go like this just because I saw him do it. Does it do anything to my swing? No. It was just cool when I watched it on yeah. TV. And as a 43-year-old man, I still do it. So, yeah, there is something to be said to what you're saying. But, yeah, I don't know why anybody doesn't do the Ken Griffey. It's a beautiful <laughs> swing. And it, it, it's funny that you say that about Sheffield because uh, growing up and going to uh, baseball camps and, mm. you know, learning some fundamentals, uh, they used to always try to take all that junk out of the game. It was all about trying to limit the amount that you move around in the batter's box because obviously uh, the more moving parts, yeah. the less control you have, right? So it's, it's just funny how some of these guys are so active uh in the batter's box like a um a gary sheffield yeah when uh, baseball fundamentals tell you that you should be as calm and compact as possible when in the batter's box all right i like this I, that was a good random sports lot um my uh next one just on baseball can we just boo baseball like when it whenever it comes back can we just all if we're gonna go to a game just boo it <laughs> just boo the boo. sport yeah just boo the players let's boo the owners I enjoy baseball. I want to go to a baseball game. I want to be, I, I, I want it to come back. But when it comes back, can we like really boo it? Like every time we go. And I know they'll get my money that way and that's all they really care about. But let's boo baseball when it comes back. Whenever that's going to be. Yeah. And uh, you know what, Sean? It's funny because if anybody's going to get booed, it's going to be Rob Manfred. Mm-hmm. And I've dealt with uh, the player strike in um, 1994. Uh, in hockey, I've dealt with, uh, mm-hmm. I think, three uh, labor stoppages and uh, different commissioners like Bud Selig and Gary Bettman being in charge. I don't mm, I don't know, but I think at the end of this thing, Rob Manfred could become the least popular commissioner of all time. Mm. Who's the most popular right now? Silver? Um, yeah, yeah, Silver started strong. Um, but I mean, his competition is Bettman, Goodell, and Manfred. <laughs> I guess I guess MLS is at uh, Garber still. Uh, yeah, Garber. Garber's pretty. Garber seems like a nice good. guy. He's been to the TSN 690 booth a couple times, and he's he's in a good spot because he's uh, yeah. trying to take over a league that's growing. Right? Yeah, Whereas okay. uh, you know less room for growth with some of the other sports. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's probably Adam Silver. That's fair. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, one more each. Sure. Two more. I don't know where we're at. So whatever you whatever you want to do, I don't care. Okay, I got one uh, more. You got two, I think. My, okay. my brain is always just working overtime with these random thoughts. Yeah. Uh, my second one, uh, very simple, but uh, I caught some of the Nashville-Tampa uh, Bay Lightning outdoor game. And, uh, you know, also looking forward to seeing the uh, Maple Leafs-Sabres outdoor game as well. I keep flip-flopping with how I feel about outdoor games. At one point, I felt as though it was too much. It was uh, oversaturated, mm-hmm. and I had enough of it. But now I'm back to liking these outdoor games again. Well, uh, because, I think, I think it was know, Nashville, it, man. Nashville Nashville knows how to throw a party. And Mitch, I was watching the game. I looked at the images. I just wanted to be there. All yeah. I wanted to do was be there. I was like, man, what if, what if we just brought the post-game pints on the road and just we were there? Like, it didn't matter what we did. We did, you know, a 10-minute segment, whatever. It didn't matter. I just I just wanted to be there, Mitch. And, and it maybe could be because of COVID and everything's been shut down. And we want to be everywhere now. I'm just saying, look good, enjoyed the game, two teams I like watching, and uh, didn't feel as negative towards the uh, 
outdoor series or stadium series, whatever they're calling it now, as I have uh, during some of them. All right, my final uh, round of sports. I know you have one more. Uh, this one's quick. I know uh, a lot of people are jumping on top of him. It's been a rough season. I've said this once. I'm just going to say it again here on the Random Sports Thoughts. Brendan Gallagher isn't done. Don't count him out. I think he is. Don't count him out. Year one of a terrible contract that was signed by uh, Mark Bergevay. I'm not saying the contract's great. I'm just saying the player's not done. Well, I think he'll still be an NHL player, but no way that guy is ever getting close to 30 goals again. Uh, Sean, my last uh, random sports thought. I don't know what, and I don't know the answer, but the NHL has to do something to spice up trade deadline. Just call it trade week. Trade month. Well, like the, the teams have to do that now. And, and here's the problem this year uh, with the trade deadline is that when you look at the East, you know the eight playoff teams, you know the eight aren't. So they've already determined buyers and sellers in the East, at least. In the West, mm -hmm. it's a little more complicated. But in the East, I know the eight playoff teams and I know the eight teams that aren't. So you've already started shopping versus in other years, it's like, am I a buyer? Am I a seller? A lot of teams have already known where they are. And I think that that's, that's the problem this year because we're getting huge. We saw it in the, we saw it last year in the COVID shortened season. And we're getting it now. The gap between the top teams and the bottom teams is getting bigger. I know they yeah. like parity, but there's a big gap between good and bad right now in the National Hockey League. I, I just feel, Sean, like um, the NHL does free agency and trade deadline the worst of the four uh, major sports here in North America. You know, NBA by far the best, followed mm -hmm. by the NFL, followed by baseball, followed by hockey. And Hockey and I know you know CBA and salary caps and all sorts of things play into it, but man, oh man, when I'm watching the NBA trade deadline and guys like James Harden are on the move, yeah. it doesn't compare to anything we see in the NHL. It just—it's not like it used to be in the '80s and the '90s when you get like six-player deals uh, in the Who's National the Hockey League. Best. Yeah. All right, that is uh, random sports thoughts. All right, are we ready for a quick little pop quiz to wrap things up here? Sure thing. Yeah, we've been pop quizzing each other a lot lately. I think we've been no both kidding. doing pretty well. Yeah, it's fun. Is it not, Mitch? I've got stuff. i got things to ask you. Uh, all right, i got a question for you. All right, Start let's things go. off here on yeah. the Post Game Pints podcast. Um, Mitch, currently in the National Hockey League, there are five defensemen that are on pace for a point a game. Okay. Currently. Now, I don't know if they're going to finish or not. But since I'll go a decade, since the lockout season, the 2013 season, and uh, since then, only three defensemen have had a point a game season. Do you know who those three defensemen are? And I'm not counting Kale McCarr's 44 points in 44 games last year because it was a COVID shortened season. Uh, but I know he did that. So I'm giving you that one. I'll say four if you want. Uh, he had 44 and 44. But I, I'm talking about the full seasons since 2012. So in the last decade, only three defensemen have had a point a game uh, in the entire season. And right now there's five on pace in this year. I don't know if they're going to get it, but there's five on pace. Can you name those three defensemen? Uh, Eric Carlson. Yes, he had 82 and 82, and that was in 2016. Brent Burns. 83 and 82, and that was in 2018-2019. And uh, I don't know the last one, but I'll guess uh, Drew Doughty. 
It is not Drew Doughty. So I'll He's guess those... uh, Chris Letang. Not Chris Letang. You're on the right pace with Doughty, Letang. There's that other defenseman that I always kind of group those guys, group them with. Um, did Roman Yossi do it? Uh, Roman Yossi is one of the ones that's on pace to do it right now. This year. He, he says 53 and 51. See, I put like it's kind of same generation. Um, when I think Kings, when I think Penguins, I also think this other team. Oh, so Duncan Keith is the last one. No, it's not Duncan Keith. It's the other guy that's in that group too. He's the other guy that's in that group too. Yeah, yeah. From those, he's uh, he mostly power play. Uh, gets forgotten about how good he is offensively. He's been with uh, his team for a very long time. Um. I'm trying to. John Carlson. You got it. There you go. John Carlson. Uh, he had uh, 75 points in 69 games in the 2020 season. Yeah, that 2020 season. I remember he had a ridiculous October, mm-hmm. November. Yeah. Which really uh, put him on pace for well above a point a game. And then he kind of slowed down. But that start to the season, he was ridiculous. Yeah. So it's, it's just it's going to be interesting to see how many defensemen finish off. Because it's not something that happens too often. All right. Sean, I don't think uh, mine is uh, too, too difficult. Okay. But maybe, Wayne uh, Wayne, maybe some uh, names will uh, slip your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am looking for the top five mm-hmm. most goals in Carolina Hurricanes history. Mm, top five most goals in Carolina Hurricanes history. All right. Uh, Eric Stahl. Number one. Um, Carolina Hurricanes. Does this go back to Hartford or just? No, this, this is, is 1997 on Carolina Hurricanes. Okay. Um, Brindamore. Number four. Okay. Uh, where's Big Jeff on this? He didn't play. He didn't score enough. Number three. Oh, is he? Okay, yep. that's why uh, I thought you might forget him. All right. What about Sebastian? Number five, which is why I asked. He just okay. jumped into number that's five, passing thought. Eric Cole. Okay. Um, Jeff Skinner. Number two. Did I not? I got. I got all five in a row. You no wrong answer. All five in a row without a wrong answer. Golf, golf clap for you. I'm just proud of myself. I thought you might forget O'Neill and Skinner. I thought you were going to get Brynamore and Stahl for sure. I'm just really proud and, of myself. And yeah, can you imagine, though, that Sebastian Ajo's already there? Feels like this guy just stepped into the NHL. What a player. I'm just really proud of myself. <laughs> what do we do? Uh, when you comment below, congratulate me too. There you go. Yeah, thank you everybody for listening to the uh, Post Game Pints podcast. Of course, uh, don't forget to uh, click, comment, subscribe, smash that subscribe button, and uh, we'll be back next week with another edition, episode number one hundred here on the Post Game Pints. Hold on, Mitch. We got to remind people though. In just over a week, we're celebrating something too, are we not? Yes. Yes. We can put this at the end. Uh, because eventually it'll be dated if you're listening to this in two weeks from now. Uh, but uh, next week at LaBrosse, we have a very special event. Happy birthday to anybody who had a birthday during lockdown. When things were shut down, if you are celebrating or celebrated a birthday, 
come and join us. We're going to celebrate together. The first beer will be on LeBros. If you can show your birthday was between December 16th and, I don't know, February 1st, whatever the dates are. Uh, come, come join us for a party. Even if you didn't have a birthday at that time, come celebrate with us. I still have a lot of angry gallo ale that uh, we must uh, drink, and we're going to party it up next Friday at LeBros. What day is that? That is Friday, March 11th. Can't wait.